Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Lunch Pail Podcast alongside Mike Nizolik, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times. This is Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. It's been a little longer than we wanted to, a little layoff uh, there, but it should be getting much more regular as we get into the regular season. Uh, We have a lot to talk about today. Bud Foster stepping down. uh, The fall camp impressions that Mike's gotten from covering it. Uh, the depth chart is out. We'll uh, talk about the bigger stories on there. The the BC game, we'll break that down, and then we'll give predictions on that. And we'll also do our pick three at the end. Mike, uh, it's been busy, a busy time as usual in August. Um, let's start with Foster. You were uh, a yeah, bombshell that kind of started off fall camp, right? Yeah, that was an unusual way to, to kick off media day, that's for sure. Uh, we all showed up as we often, as we always do, to uh, expecting to write stories about this and that, and all of a sudden there's the story of the year uh, right on our plates. Uh, what are your thoughts just on how Bud handled the whole situation? Yeah, you know, I thought it could have gone one of two ways that they he would have did what he did, or they, you know, signed maybe a short extension. Um, Especially kind of, I thought maybe, you know, he'd time his kind of career with, he's going to kind of go out with that class with Hollyfield because he had recruited him so hard and, um, you know, they, they meant a lot to, to each other and try to kind of close out that career with him. But, um, you know, this made sense. They have a small recruiting class. So you kind of think about trying to rebuild the defense now, kind of going forward. Uh, the next coach come in, we'll have a bigger class to kind of go with you know you don't really hurt yourself with this small class and he talked about putting the program first and I, I don't think he wanted it to be a distraction you know maybe if they, the the contract I think if it went another year or two already kind of signed he would have probably finished it out but since he would have had to sign a new deal I don't think he was comfortable um, but he seems re-energized I think he would have been capable to go another couple of years but um, I just think when you know you have nothing left to prove uh, it wears on you he, you, you know, he tees, he's a guy that lets the losses and the mistakes and things get to him, and it's got to be hard, and, and I think that just be kind of, you know, the offseason he spent months thinking about it, and, you know, when you're not comfortable with something, you kind of know that, you know, not comfortable signing an extension, you know that it's not right, and I think that's kind of what, what transpired. I guess that was August 1st, and here we are August 27th uh, when we're taping this on Tuesday. You know, when when you did, before you came on the beat, Frank Beamer had a similar announcement, but his came in the middle of the season. I think there were three games left in the year, and you could tell instantaneously that he was a different guy after that. I mean, all the pressure of being a coach had worn on him, and then after that he was just kind of uh, smelling the roses, I guess. With Bud, I was wondering if we might see something similar to that. But I can't say that I've seen it. He looks the same as he always No, it looks the same. And, and I just think physically last year took a toll on him. I mean, he had, uh, I think it was hip or knee surgery after the season. Um, feeling better, I think. Uh, you know, um, and I think that's just sort of helped. Um, if, if anything, I just think he's got a little, <laughs> a little bit extra in his step. But I, I think that's also just because physically he feels better. I don't necessarily think mentally right now he's any different than he was. I mean, he's talked very little about it. Teams talk very little about it. Sort of business as usual. I think as we kind of get to here, we'll have like I think three celebrations basically because they're bringing back the '99 team, having Bud Foster night, and then obviously the last game. Um, I think you'll kind of have more 
of it on the players and team's mind. But right now, I just think it's sort of it is what it is. You know, you can't really worry about it until at the end of the year. And they want to, uh, you know, you don't want to send him out on an even worse note than last year was. Um, sure. So I think, you know, I'm surprised how little that's been talked about, but I think it makes sense in the, in the fact that, look, there's still four months until we even get anywhere close to this thing. And if they have a bowl game in January, um, you know, <laughs> what are we talking about here? He's stepping down at the end of the year. That's what it is. Um, and there's not much to it. So, um, you know, from a player perspective that they can do or, you know, that that it matters on a daily basis. Um, but, you know, obviously a kind of a crazy, you know, I did a timeline of what this offseason has been like and sort of fitting that it kind of closes on that because like so much has already gone down. And then that's the, that's the, you know, that's the biggest story to happen here since, like you said, Frank stepped down. Yeah. And you know, he'll be asked when they play Miami, well, what are your memories of playing Miami? When they play Virginia, what are your memories of playing Virginia? So there are going to be opportunities in addition to those, you know, built in celebrations to sort of, uh, you know, feet him and, and those salute him. Moments, yeah. And, yeah. And, and the reflective moments that he'll get. So, and one thing, you know, you, you, They've laid a blueprint already, you know, with, I think, Frank going and retiring and the way he's been part of the program. It's not goodbye. Right. It's not leaving for another school. It's not um, leaving campus like, you know, you kind of new coaches usually want to separate themselves from the past. But Justin Fuente hasn't been afraid to embrace it. That fact that Foster was on his staff for, you know, four seasons now. um, I don't I don't think you'll see, you know, he'll be an ambassador. And and I think that's kind of soften the blow from a fan's perspective that. Frank's around, you know, you could sure. I mean, you see him all the time. Um, so um, I, I think that's a big deal in terms of trying to not for fans, not getting upset or not sort of, you know, feel like they're, you're losing something where I still think, you know, they've done right by their traditions if under Whit Babcock, the way he's sort of done a nice job of towing the line between past and present. Yeah. Speaking of traditions, there's a new tradition that was just announced this week. The number one. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Nah. They already <laughs> got the number 25. Right. So know. it's like, you know, it is what it is. I I think the uh, players liked it. Yeah. And it was their idea. So, um, you know, it's, it's a cool idea. Reggie Floyd gets it. He's certainly deserving. Um, the Tyrell Smith described it as they wanted somebody with swag and juice, juice. to wear the number one. Uh, and Reggie Floyd certainly brings that. Um, but, you know, you have the number 25 at the same time. So two jersey things. But at the same time, uh, you know, the the – the Miami turnover or the uh, not turnover chain, the adding the um, brass knuckles for yeah. touchdowns. That seems sillier to me than than the, the, the honor of wearing a jersey um, for a whole season. Um, brass knuckles. I mean, it just seems sort well, of, you know, silly. Miami had already started the whole turnover uh, item. One you know, item's a craze, enough, which, yeah. you know, other people tried and failed. You know, they were using trash cans and all that stuff. And I think West Virginia had a miner's hat, you know, that they were wearing. And, you know, Miami, hey, look, you already came up with a good idea. It's still yours. You know, you're still the first to do it. It's kind of like Camden Yards. You know, you built Camden Yards. If these other places make stadiums that look like you, be honored. Uh, but you don't yeah, need you to, don't you don't to, need to come to up with anything thing. else. Yeah. Um, well, so what you're are, just upset about the imposters. You're just, that's what got you. Got, got you right. That's a column right there. <laughs> right. Um, well, somebody was saying, uh, Mike Ryan on the Dan Levitard show was saying that they should have had a get off the ball on time chain and that or game not fumble the uh, that, that quarterback. <laughs> you know, they said he did a great job, but it's like he didn't really have keep control of that ball. Every time he was mm-hmm. touched the ball, I went flying three yards out of his hands. Yeah, that was a very sloppy game, uh, and maybe we'll touch on that a little bit more as we go here but 
your just your general overall impressions in fall camp. Like what what stood out to you? I know it's a lot of you know it's, we're talking about three and a half weeks here, but hit the bullet points, hit the highlights. Yeah, you know it's so hard. We see so little. We saw two practices at the beginnings, and they weren't even in pads. You know you hate to make kind of judgments on that. You know you kind of go by what coaches are saying and what the feeling is. Uh, behind the scenes, I, I think my big takeaway is just, you know, we got to see a little bit of it, but the kind of the most interesting segment of practice we saw was those receivers go against the defensive backs and secondary. And I just think this is going to be a really talented group. I wrote about it for our uh, college football preview. Um, uh, as dynamic a group as I think you're going to find in the ACC um, in terms of your starting skill position players at receiver and tight end. I mean, how, do, how will a team – um, go about lining up against, you know, if you got Dalton Keene, James Mitchell, Trey Turner, and Damon Hazleton on the field at the same time. Um, and you split one of those tight ends out. And I think it's going to create some mismatches. Um, and so that's kind of the takeaway. I just think that this offense is going to be or has the potential to be pretty dynamic. I think the defense, um, you know, they're saying, everybody's saying the right things. A lot of guys have made individual strides. How do they put that together as a team? You know, you hear all the stuff about, you know, um, Chamari Connor or um, – um, Deshaun Crawford um, but what is that how does that manifest itself on the field um, are, are, is this defensive line going to be a better unit as opposed to just you know uh, having some guys that maybe improved a little bit so um, you know guys have made th those leaps but and, and physically too a lot of guys have transformed but how does that all to gel, gel together I don't know because we just see so little in the fall yeah and I think another storyline that's kind of run through the whole camp story especially at the beginning of camp was the whole togetherness angle and the whole fact that uh all that stuff from last year they want to put all that behind them i mean they just they, they really don't want to talk much about last year anymore and but until they have some results on the field this year that's going to still be a storyline because it's the worst uh team virginia tech team we've seen in, in more than two decades so that's that's why uh, that people still want to talk about last year, but they they feel like they have the leaders in the cl in the locker room now who can uh, kind of clean up some of that stuff if it starts to rear its head. If they do struggle in games like they did in that uh, Old Dominion game, I think that's when really things started going off the rails. If they have a performance like that, uh, heaven forbid, you know I know Tech fans don't want to hear you know they're going to do that to with Furman or ODU this year or something like that or Rhode Island. But I think they feel like they're better equipped to 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 tamp that down and get rid of uh, you know any any problems that might be persisting in a locker room, and that that's a good thing. Uh, you know, I think the defense is definitely going to be better. I think they're going to know where they're supposed to be a lot better. Hard to be worse too. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's the thing. The baseline is so low. I mean, you look at you know you go back and revisit some of those numbers. It's just like, I mean, you just got to be better by default. They were seventh worst in the country at. Uh, yards allowed per carry it was like 5.4 or something i was looking that up for something uh, i was doing on virginia and you know that it's just it's unthinkable to to be that bad against the run and here here they've got uh, uh boston college a, a great running team with a great running back uh coming into town uh before we get to that matchup let's talk a little bit about the depth chart that was released this week what uh what stood out to you about it yeah not very surprising you know they announced the quarterback obviously uh last week uh, you know obviously ryan willis number one 
Um, the, the you know positionally the biggest surprise you know Chamari Connor, uh, who wasn't all that surprising since we had heard so much about him starting at nickel over Khalil Ladler, who started nine games. He's only the star, he's only really real starter that was displaced uh, from last year that was returning. So that on its face is big news. But Connor, uh, you know Ladler missed spring with an injury. Connor really impressed as a standout special teams player last year. So he's already kind of on the radar. Um, you look again at all the freshmen that are on there. Um, not really in starting position, but you get three defensive tackles. Uh, freshman Norrell Pollard, Mario Kendricks, Josh Fugwa, um, just on the depth chart. Tavian Robinson and Keyshawn King are on it multiple times. Um, you know, this is still a young team with a lot of young guys contributing. And um, some of these freshmen could make the difference, I think, between a good season and a great season. You know, if Keyshawn King breaks out at running back, um, that, that, that could make this offense pretty special. Not that Jalen Holston or Deshaun McLeese can't, but I think, you know, talking about a guy with an explosive skill set who the f- coaches really, really like right now. Um, you know, some of the other things, offensive line, I think is pretty pretty much what we thought about it. You know, the, the position that was really open was right guard, and T.J. Jackson won that. Uh, the tackles, I think, are very good. Silas Janzi and um, Christian Darsaw with some experience there. Uh, Lashita Smith is, is pretty good. So I, I think it's pretty put together offensively. Look at defensively. They got a lot of experience. But I still think as a group they still need to kind of put some tape together and show that this team um, is what, what the team's capable of. I mean, the biggest question mark still to me when you look at that defensive line, so undersized, um, you know, not an impressive group on paper. Um you know, Crawford's kind of the, the unknown. He did good in the spring game, but still, it's just such a small, it's a much smaller group. And skill wise, I, I just don't know how much pass rushing they're going to get out of that group. I, I want to talk a little bit more about Keyshawn King. They list him at 5'11, 182 out of Orange Park, Florida. He's a guy I've heard you guys mention. You beat writers have mentioned him multiple times. And yeah, as you mentioned, he's listed second, or I guess second after the, the tide for first. Starters, McLeese. Yeah. yeah. As a true freshman in the running back, I mean, I feel like he could be my new Khalil Pempleton where I'm watching for him uh, on the field because much like Khalil, I heard a lot of good things about him, and I really, really wanted to see him play. What more can you tell me about what the coaches are saying about King? Well, if you watch his huddle video, I mean, you don't know what the comp- – I've been told the competition's pretty good where he's from, from Florida, and he just runs just rough shot. He had over 2,000 yards, 30 touchdowns like video game numbers and video his video looked like a video game where he'd break a tackle and it'd be gone you know just like 60 yard runs 50 yard runs just this crazy crazy uh the you know speed and explosiveness and you know that's kind of what they're saying uh on, on the record and behind the scenes you know just like look this kid's explosiveness is there broke some running runs i think it was in the first or second scrimmage that immediately kind of put him uh you know, in the running, and you know he had he had guys behind. You know, had Caleb Stewart, uh, was here in spring and has been here for a couple of years now, and then uh, Terry Sweetley was missed spring with recovering from an injury, but has been here for a while, and and King's ahead of them already. So you can kind of tell um, he's already and he's already on. You know, they're talking about kick returns for him too. So talk about a level of trust with a young kid. That's there right now. You know, you the the thing with freshmen is blocking. And that's what they always talk about learning the blocking schemes. So you know, how much do they trust him there? They said he's picking it up. Uh, obviously, you know, another year he'd get that size to be even better. But, you know, if he breaks a play or two right off the bat, I think you'll see a kind of a steady diet of him um, early on in the season. I just think they've been missing that in the run game, you know, far before I got here uh, from Justin Fuente's era. Um, And, you know, it's just even with Stephen Peoples averaging a decent amount of yards per carry last year, close to five, it was just such a 
lackluster game by game performance just for the whole group because you just didn't have those 20 yard runs you didn't have a team where they had to kind of worry about that threat and and i think that's what king brings right off the bat how many carries does he get saturday put you on the spot here five okay if, if, if he breaks a long run or if he breaks like a 15-yard run, I could see him getting And if he fumbles the seven. first if one, he, he won't fumble, get any more. He gets zero. But my, <laughs> my initial guess, because, you know, you're going to – I think Holston and McLeese are going to get carries. Yeah. Um, so you're going to have to put King in, maybe a drive or two. And so, you know, if he kind of breaks a run or, or gets some uh, get some decent yardage once or twice, I think you can kind of see him get that, that five uh, right away. Because they got a lot of options. We talk about trying to spread the ball around. I mean, you got a, a lot of guys you want to get the ball – um, so I think it's going to be tough right uh, right off the bat just to say he's going to get 10 or 15. But I, I think you kind of give him a look on a drive or two. All right, Mike. Well, here comes BC. Uh, well, Tech goes to BC, which is an even bigger challenge to go on that turf field and try to beat those guys. If you look at what happened last year with Virginia Tech's run defense and you look at the strengths of Boston College historically and also this year, with A.J. Dillon in the fold, this is about as uh, interesting a matchup as you can get for the opener, I think. And I'm sure they're not thrilled about having to face them right now, but I'm thrilled to be able to watch it. What are your thoughts going into this game? Uh, you know, A.J. Dillon wasn't even 100% last year, and right. they, they they ran over uh, Virginia Tech regardless. Um, so uh, getting him at 100% on week one when a running back is feeling their best is probably not a good sign. Uh, they got a returning quarterback, too, really experienced, one of the most experienced beside Ryan Willis in the ACC, Anthony Brown. Um, so it's a, it's kind of an intriguing matchup. I kind of I view it as a shootout, possibly, because, I yeah. mean, I went through last night for a story later this week about just, you know, the lack of experience on Boston College's defense. They got it somewhere. All right here, and it's, uh, what, three starters with a combined total of 19 starts. Uh, looks like one, two, three, four redshirt freshmen that played uh, about a – eight games combined last year feels a little bit like um virginia tech's defense last year um and obviously that defense came out and looked good in that first game um but their defensive line um got a little bit more size but you know really no experience their most experienced guy this defensive end um from Cle clemson richard uh Jurgen, ha hasn't played since uh 2017 uh, missed the last two years because of an auto accident they've got a lot of question marks defensively so um you know how to stop aj Dillon? i think boston college's question is how to stop anybody because you know the the tech's receivers are good their tight ends are good they got some talent at running back uh you know if willis can take a step forward um I don't know. I, I feel good about Tech's chances here um, with just the kind of the, the way their offense is set up going into week one. I think it would be very, very disappointing if Tech's offense put up a dud in this one. I mean, oh, they yeah, should absolutely. they should look a lot like the offense you want to see uh, because, as you said, I mean, they're, they're going against a team that's, uh, you know, trying to learn its way defensively, and, and you're going with, with, with the strength of your squad is you should be able to put up points here. And I think they will. I do still wonder about them being able to keep uh, – Keep that Boston College offense off the field. I mean, I you know, I just that's why you just got to go score more points. <laughs> well, you're yeah, and I I just you know I think until I see them uh, put in a, a reputable uh, game defensively against this running game, 
uh, I'll still have many, many questions about this defense. Yeah, and l- like we said, you know, this defensive line's not overly impressive. Uh, A.J. Dillon's one of the bigger backs, uh, you know, that they're going to face. Uh, has shown he's effective back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons. And it's not like they're going to be one-dimensional. They have talent at the skill positions. Uh, they have a pretty decent offensive line. So I just think it's going to be a case where, you know, you're going to have to string some points together. Uh, you know, if you get opportunity for field goals, you can't miss them like you did last year. You just kind of keep going. Um, and the offense has to pick the defense up. You know, you don't have an excuse of going to a quarterback midseason, you know, or four weeks into the season where he's learning the offense. Ryan Willis had the whole year. He was basically the number one guy, even though he wasn't the number one guy, you know, in competition. But he's gotten reps with the first-team offense since last spring. He knows this offense inside and out. I just don't think you have any excuses at this point. If the defense does lay a dud, which I wouldn't be surprised, I guess, if it happened against this this kind of running back, I just think it, it doesn't matter at this point. I think the offense, especially with that's Fuente's strength, Cornelson, um, you have to be able to score a bunch of points, score 40 points uh, to win this game because I don't think Boston College is a – overwhelmingly more talented program i mean yes aj dillon is probably one of the best places they'll face in the acc this year um but altogether, look tech has more talent on their roster i mean more or you know stars recruiting and i know sometimes that doesn't matter but you know you talk about guys like trey turner dax hollyfield this is the time for them to show up um and this is i think a game you got to win um when you're trying to improve on last year and you know you got a couple of tough road games in Notre Dame and Miami this is one you want to have especially after all kind of the everything that's going on in the offseason I don't think you want to start off on the wrong foot just mentally because um, I think the season could get long if you have a couple of bad losses just because of the way last year was I just think you know even if the defense doesn't play well if you win it doesn't matter right I don't right. think anybody's going to complain right um, you know they'll certainly be worried until the defense steps takes a step forward but i still think it might need some time to kind of to gel together yeah and you'll have that time i mean you got some you got some another reading. now a month before you go to Miami. right right well it's interesting you know if you watch that miami florida game the other day i mean there were a lot of missed tackles there was a lot of sloppiness and uh john beeson who's a, a former miami linebacker and three-time pro bowler in the nfl and he's now working for the acc network he was on a conference call this week and he said look you know, you're playing these games earlier and earlier. You're playing more high-profile games earlier in the season, and you're you're not hitting in practice like you used to. And he's I'm not necessarily saying he's suggesting they go back to you know getting concussions all the time in practice, but it's just really hard to simulate the physicality of an actual game when you're not you know doing two days and all those things that really uh, test you physically. Um, so you know, I'm just kind of asking Bud about that today and trying to see what they how they feel about. Uh, their tackling ability and they feel like they've simulated it as best they can without bringing guys to the ground every time but they they feel like that that technically they're sound i think they're going to be in the right positions but look dylan is a guy who sheds tackles that's one of the things he does he's a big guy he's built like a linebacker and that's that's one of his specialties and so what a challenge let's let's do our you want to do our pick three and then do our prediction at the end we could do that force people to hang around <laughs> force people to hang around another minute uh yeah you want to kick us off sure uh pick three i don't know if i mentioned this last time but mine hunter came back after a two-year layoff on netflix the show about kind of uh serial killing profiling and the kind of the, the uh, more real life uh kind of attached to a, a, a book by a former fbi agent about the development of f 
FBI profiling and things. Uh, it was a nine episode second season and it didn't disappoint. Um, you know, you have to be, it's not a fun show. It's kind of a dark show, obviously. Sure. Um, got some humor in some of the dark moments, uh, but um, um, uh, very impressive cast, very impressive story. Covered some real life, the uh, Atlanta child murders. Uh, they interviewed Charles Manson. So a lot of, a lot of interesting topics, um, but have to certainly be in the mood for it. But, uh, you know, after two years, a show disappears. You kind of worry about what it'll come back like. But uh, I hope it gets renewed because it, uh, it was worth the wait. Yeah, I'd actually really like, you've mentioned that one before, and I'd like to see that. I don't have Netflix anymore, which brings me to my first one. Do you have the ACC network here? No. Not at your home. We've you cut the cord, and I have not gotten it online. I think you can get it through Hulu and stuff, but I have not done that yet. Yeah, and people are telling me, I don't have it. I have Comcast, and people are telling me, well, just drop Comcast and get YouTube TV or get uh, Hulu TV or whatever. And I'm looking at those options, and I'm seeing no Masson which, as people who are baseball fans around here know, is where you get your your Nationals and your Orioles games every night. Uh, so that's a catch-22 for me because you'd have to give up something very near and dear to my heart. I, I'm frustrated with this whole process. Uh, I know Berman's done a lot of reporting on it. He was out actually at a Pulaski-Yankees game last night talking to fans about how they feel about it, whether they have it or not. Um, and I think there's a lot of blame to go around here on both sides. Well, yeah, they've been cheerleading and kind of talking about all the excitement about it. But I think, you know, when, you, when you're when you in an area, you know, you asked a player today and the dorms don't get it. It's like, you know, this yeah. area specifically has been impacted in the fact that the cable deals just happen, happen to fall. And the, the, the ones that they have are not the predominant ones that are here. And so I think the kind of the overall feeling has been kind of disappointment um, just because, they don't have, there's not a lot of options and people don't want to go through all the rigmarole of switching. Uh, it's a pain and, and especially breaking contracts and things. Um, it's not easy to just kind of do uh, on, a, on a whim. Um, you know, I guess they had a couple months, but uh, I mean, it's hard to do that. And I, I think that's kind of dampened the enthusiasm, especially in Blacksburg, Christiansburg area. Here's the bottom line. I have less content now than I did a year ago. I mean, I could watch every game I wanted to last year on ESPN three ESPN plus. I do have an ESPN plus subscription. Um, and now I can't. And it's, uh, you know, so you're going to tell me that your your weekly show on Clemson soccer is going to make up for that? The fact that I can, you know, that that makes it all better? No. I mean, like, you know, look, I, I was a ACC baseball player, so I, I appreciate the fact that there's going to be ACC baseball on, on the ACC network. I appreciate that they're putting soccer and these Olympic sports on there. That's great. But they were starting to do that with ESPN3 basically to get prepared for right. what they're doing now. Uh, they may not have done as much if they weren't getting prepared for that. But the, the bottom line is <laughs> for, for a large portion of people in southwest Virginia, they just want to be able to watch the games. And right now you're making it hard. And your initial programming slate is sort of recap, highlight shows, extra panel shows, which there's an abundance of already. They sure. don't need any of those. And some of the documentaries are cool, but there's not enough right now to sort of say I need to, I need to switch. Exactly. Well, yeah, it, it was Trey Turner who I asked about that. And it's, the interesting thing about him is he said he doesn't watch TV at all. Yeah. Any, any TV. No so TV. It's all phone. He just pulls it up on his phone if he wants to see highlights. But all right. What's your number two? My number two. Oh, man. Well, we went to um, we celebrated the youngest one's birthday. Uh, Dave and Buster's uh, <laughs> who drove to Greenville. Uh, it's one of the closer ones. And um, you literally could leave kids in there for like days. I don't think my sons would come out. For, for days if you just the the arcade um they love it um and just the 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 advancements in games right now that the kids are playing 
um, from what we played arcade games, you know, like Donkey Kong or, you know, the, just the very basic things. Now you get into the machines, you have a Star Wars pod where you're simulating flying or, you know, you're in cars and they're moving around. Um, it's just uh, they, they are spoiled rotten. They, do, they I don't think they know how good they have it in terms of, of their entertainment these days. Well, it's funny because I saw on I saw on Twitter just the other day there was like the twenty second anniversary of the 007 GoldenEye game for N sixty four being released, and boy did I wear that game out in college, man, with my buddies. You know, you play, uh, you'd you'd play that game for hours, and my kids have a I don't know what they have. They have uh, one of the new P PS four, I guess PS three. Uh, they they don't play it that much. They they prefer their phones and their you know their tablets and stuff, but. Uh, man, I don't know how you get through a summer, you know, when you're when our age without without those kind of games. My number two, uh, Old Town Road broke the record for most weeks, consecutive weeks at number one. Yeah. It's 17. Okay. My father, uh, this is an interesting <laughs> fact about my father. He used to he used to record Casey's Top 40, you know, the Billboard Top 40 show that came on every Sunday, I think it was. And he would write down what 40 to 1 what every song was so he the list. he did this and then uh, i'm trying to think of when he stopped doing this and it was right around the time like bust a move came out <laughs> and tone and tone loke was coming out with wild thing and then all of a sudden he i get i think he figured that the music just wasn't for him uh i look i'm a i'm a cornball i kind of like old town road i you know I, I know it's not cool to like it or whatever but I just can't imagine 17 weeks at number one. What uh, the competition level of music right now just can't be that strong. If that can, if that can be number one for that I'm long. I'm totally out of the music. Like I have no concept of what the top songs are. I know what Billy Eilish or English. I don't know which one. She she was the one that toppled him. Uh, she's the, that that young, very young pop star from London. Um, yeah. She's got a kind of a dark, dark, twisted sort of... <laughs> I've seen a couple of the videos just in passing on certain, certain sites, but um, yeah, my my knowledge of the top music right now is, is not very good. Well, uh, with an 11-year-old daughter who's Ooh, on TikTok yeah. and all that stuff, I, I can Tick- figure... I don't even know what TikTok a, is. A couple so. of questions, I can figure out some things, and uh, we still do listen to some of the modern music, but uh, as most older people think, it, I think it's trash. All right, number three. Well, Andrew Luck, we, uh, surprise announcement. You know, t- took me back to the days when Barry Sanders, you know, I grew up in Chicago, walked away from the game. And I think this is kind of, you know, it's not, you know, people are talking about the most surprising sports story. There's tons of surprising sports stories. But in terms of retirement, um, you know, a guy that's younger than me <laughs> by seven years walking away from something he loves, um, you know, hats off to him for making that tough decision. But, just sort of, you know, I, I could only imagine the fans in the, being in their boots. You know, as a kid, you like a player and they kind of walk away. Um, it just brought me back to sort of some of those things that happened when I was a kid. You know, I just remember Barry Sanders being stunned right. when he just sort of didn't like walked out of camp and was just like, yeah, I'm done. It happens so rarely, I think, and especially at those high level, you know, fringe athletes not or not fringe players retire all the time young. But like you see these great athletes and uh it was just sort of shocking and sad for football because you see those talent those talented guys don't come around often and those generational talents and uh pretty crazy yeah it is uh do you think it's gonna hello yeah my wife's on her way right now give me a second 
Thank you very much. Thank you. Just pick it up. You're good. Do you, do you think it's going to uh, become a trend? Do you think more of these young guys are going to start? Well, I think it's hard because not all of them have a hundred million contract. You know, your quarterbacks maybe you'll his see dad's rich. Yeah, and you know maybe a running back or a wide receiver that you know you kind of thought Antonio Brown might do it just because he was unhappy. Um, but you have to have a, you have to be a certain player. You know, it comes from a sense of privilege, and I heard people ripping him about that. And it is there is privilege to maybe able to make that decision. I don't think it's just a you know Ricky Walker just got undrafted and he's gonna it's gonna take him years to kind of make the kind of money where he'll be comfortable for the rest of his life. Right, he'll be comfortable for the next ten years, but he can't just walk away from the game as a undrafted free agent that's kind of getting a small contract to start have to wait four years so i think it's going to be tough but i think it's certainly going to be part of the conversation now when you see guys get banged up maybe they you know if they have their made their money they, they they're done right if you could meet one person in the in the world currently living who would you who would you be i would have no idea you don't have anybody that you just right really, really have head, a, a no, desire to me. No, uh, I don't really have anybody outside of John Miller, the okay. uh, the radio announcer yeah, yeah. for the, the San Francisco Giants, was the radio announcer for the Orioles, and long time on ESPN uh, Sunday Night Baseball with Joe Morgan. Uh, I just think he's fascinating. I think he's hilarious. I think he's great. I think he can make a twenty to nothing game interesting, um, mm-hmm. uh, and he loves the game just as much as I do. And it, it and. I didn't realize this, but he wrote a book in 1998, and uh, the official scorer at, at Salem, uh, Billy Wells, who uh, who is also a coach, a high school coach who won a state championship this year, he uh, he had the book, and so he gave it to me, and I'm starting to read it, and so far I'm disappointed. <laughs> but I'm hoping your gets, answer might change. I'm hoping it gets better, but um, you know, I mean, he's not a writer, but. Um, you know, he had somebody, he had a reporter for the Baltimore Sun, I think, uh, write it for him. But uh, I'm, I'm expecting more. But it, it was written in 98. Well, have to, next week you'll have to that, say you know, how it finished well, up. Well, you're kind of <laughs> disappointed because there's stuff in there like uh, this. It's outdated. Is, it's 1998. You know what 1998 was, right? I mean, that's right. the year of uh, McGuire and Sosa. And the, the, I guess the season had not started yet. But he's saying this is the golden era of baseball. It's never been better. And he's talking about, you know, nutrition and how these guys are bigger and stronger because they weight lift. And it's like, all right, John, you know, we got some news for you coming here in about a couple of years. But uh, I'm hoping he gets better because he's got some uh, he's got some great stories from years in the game. All right. Let's get to our predictions and get out of here. All right. Uh, simple for me. I've been saying shootout. Uh, it's going to be offenses dictating the day. That's what I think it's going to be. Thirty eight to thirty Virginia Tech. So they cover They cover. The four, line, well, yeah, I should say the line. the line is up to four and a half as uh, I just checked it. Um, and. I'm gonna be the. I'm gonna wear the black hat today. I'm gonna, and I'm not saying this is what I want to happen, but this is what I think is gonna happen. I also see a up and down, back and forth affair, and I see Boston College winning the game. Wow. See, uh, let's see, thirty-five, thirty. I think Virginia Tech will put up some points. So I think same. Th- and I mean that could happen. I mean, last, whoever had the ball last scores. I mean, I, I'd see it yeah, easy. Yeah. And and Willis is not. Look, I know I, I trust Willis. I don't think he's gonna make a ton of mistakes, but I don't know. If you make one or two big ones in this game, when I kind of feel like it's possible, I mean, Adaz- and, and I may, this opinion may be colored by having s- spent some time with Adazio in Charlotte and listening to him talk and saying that this is going to be the most explosive offense he's ever had. I mean, he didn't uh, try to hold his cards close to the vest at all. He was like, we're going to be very, very good offensively. And just with all I can remember about the defense missing tackles and things last year, I know they're going to be better, but I still, you know, you're on the road. 
that's a place that uh, you know historically has been a tough place for Tech. You know, I don't know what the crowd's going to look like, but it probably won't be anything close to full, and be you know two thirds at most, uh, I would think. So, but you know, with an opener, maybe you get more. But uh, it's going to be it's going to be tough for Tech, and if they can win it, I will give them full props because I think this is a very difficult first test, and uh, we'll see if they're ready. Yeah, I'm excited. You know, uh, it, it should be a, a fun trip, another kind of road trip to ar- open the season in Boston. Um, I, I think this will test this team and be a kind of good indication here of what we'll kind of expect over the next month. I mean, they got a pretty easy schedule, and if they can win this, I think the next kind of really, you know, you talk about Miami, and then um, they could kind of put together a special season. I mean, even though there's, there, there's it's an easy schedule, um, I think it's it favors them, and, and they should you know, you, you you win this one, and I think you're back in the kind of the picture of the ACC, uh, especially after Miami looks so dreadful. See, I think you're still in the picture of the ACC firmly and squarely if you lose a 35-30 type of game at this. I mean, and maybe I, I you know I, I don't get the impression that other people that I talk to feel the same way about Boston College as I do. I guess yeah. the, I guess I just have a high opinion. But you've seen of those Boston battles, College. I think, up close. I and, do. and not a lot of teams have seen. Not you know, Boston College is not a team that's on very often or gets very much publicity. Yeah, and I like Adazio. I, I kind of feel like he's I think he's a good coach and you know I just I, I don't know I, I but it's not like Virginia's playing Pitt you know that's a coastal game that so that's yeah. like doubly important for those guys and so I mean I feel like at least this is a cross divisional rivalry so if you were to lose it you still you still hold you know all your you, know, you, you get if you can beat Miami if you can beat Virginia the two the two favorites in the league uh, you're still in very good shape. So sounds good, and we're gonna make this a weekly thing here now, right? Yeah, we'll be here every week uh, unless something crazy happens. But look for us every week. You can find it on iTunes as well as uh, Michael post links to it uh, weekly. Oh, right? where, wherever you get your podcasts or so. Wherever you get your podcasts, ours is free. Wherever. You- <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for joining us. We're uh, happy to be back and uh, looking forward to a good season. Hope you'll spend it with us. For Mike Nizolik, this is Aaron McFarling. We'll see you next time.